This, 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 this is mythical. Welcome to Ear Biscuits. I'm Rhett. And I'm Link. Man, I'm glad you're listening. Because this week at the round table of dim lighting, we're talking at each other and going down a rabbit hole. Where's it gonna take us? We don't know. We've got an envelope. Depends on what the rabbit decided when he dug it. With a topic of discussion, maybe a question. I don't know, I haven't seen it. Well, that's, that, that is an interesting question. Is the rabbit hole that we're going to go down determined already by a rabbit that dug it? Or are we the rabbits digging the hole? That's a deep philosophical question. Uh, it's a mythical beast who responded to a social media post. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about who asked the question. Yeah. I'm saying the people going down the rabbit hole, are we the rabbits digging the hole and determining the direction of the hole? Are we following a no. hole that has already been determined ahead of time? It's really a question about oh. determinism. Oh, well the saying. Catch up, Link. The saying it imp implies that there's a hole and you're just going down it. it you're not the rabbit. So you believe that our, our conversation is already determined. We, are you saying that we do not have free will and how we interact with the question that we're going to. Free uh, will? Free will. Free will? Emphasis on the L Lincoln always makes fun of the way I say white. White. Every time I say white, he says white yeah. after me. Well, because there's an H in it. <laughs> white. White. Um, well, are we gonna prematurely go down another rabbit hole which is um, I determinism just I versus free will I of thought conversation? I just, I just raised the question. I mean, I. When I, you know, the story of my concussion is what really made me pause and start to think about the determinism of, of, of oh, conversations in life in general. That is a really good point. You know, as we talk about in our tour of mythicality, we have a whole bit about it on we the stage. We also have a which book. Is, which, is a, which, which comes from the story in the book about me breaking my pelvis and losing eight hours of memory because, well, you don't lose eight hours of memory because of your pelvis. I also hit my head. Well, Link keeps his memory in his pelvis. <laughs> it's un it's deeper. It's an unusual thing. I keep my memory deep. It's actually more protected down there. But my point is, you put me in a certain situation and the, con the concussion allowed me to be in the situation again and again and again and I kept saying the exact same thing again and again and again. Right. So if you say a certain thing with certain, I mean there's lots of variables, but with all of those variables cascading from the Big Bang mm -hmm. to now, I'm bound. I mean, I I could I could I could easily believe if you twisted my arm hard enough that, man, with all the variables, I'm bound to respond in a certain way. Well, and most research shows that you actually your 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 frontal cortex is just narrating the decision that another part of your brain already made. And so it's making you think that you made a decision, but really the decisions that you make are just uh, your DNA interacting with the environment. That doesn't make life any less meaning meaningful. It just means that. <laughs> you, you really fought saying meaningless twice. It doesn't make life uh, less meaningful. It just means that the, the, well, here, me it, and you are, here's what it makes are less wired meaningful. in a certain way and we're gonna look at this question and the way that we're gonna interact with this question is already determined, man. I think you're making this podcast feel more meaningless because the moments that, if I were gonna listen to this podcast, the moments that I would be 
listening for and perking up for will be the points where it's like, where the unexpected thing happens. I mean. But, but, but to you and to me and to the your It creates your laughter, listening. it creates thought. Yeah, it cre- it but creates, none of that changes. It creates. People get really upset when people start making that, that argument, um, but, but it doesn't change your experience. Me and you are gonna interact with this question as if in our and we're going to be narrating to ourselves that we are making all these decisions and coming up with this stuff, and the person listening is going to be reacting to it because they're hearing it for the first time. But even their reaction to it is predetermined. I mean, it's not. Re- I mean, people get upset about it, but I'm not. It doesn't change life at all. If you go to a car dealership and you're like, "Oh, I'm excited. I'm going to buy a car. I'm so excited about this," and I'm going to, I get, let's say, I've won the lottery and I get the pick of the litter, any car that I want off the lot. But then, and help me with this analogy. That's always a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> but then you, but then somebody, as you walk in the front doors with the power and the ability to pick any car you want and just drive off the lot like a mogul, leans over and whispers in your ear and says, we already know which car you're gonna buy. And all the paperwork's done, the, the, the plates are on it, and it's 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 already taken care of. I can't think that that wouldn't negatively impact my experience. I was like, man, you just ruined it for me. I I won the lottery. I'm gonna roll out of here like a mogul. I the process of like picking out the car. But now in my mind, I'm like, well, which one did I already pick? But that's that not now how I, it works. I need to pick again. But. Hold on. And I would feel no, no, like my, my experience was robbed. But here's where the na- that analogy breaks down. Because by saying that uh, things are determined ahead of time and that ultimately your decisions consist of your genetic makeup interacting with an environment, is not, the environment is also that car dealer coming up to you, the, the, the salesman, and saying, you've already made a decision, we know which one you're gonna pick. At that point, the environment has now changed. And so your DNA is your mind is going to react to that, and you may end up picking something different than you would if he had not interacted with you in that way. But it would have been the thing that he whispered in my and and said that he knew. So oh. it wouldn't have changed that. It wouldn't have changed it. He would then have been lying. Um, but you don't. There's, it's impossible, or it's very difficult to calculate the probability of how much his interaction with you and telling you that he already knows what you're gonna do would impact your decision. But that doesn't mean that you actually had the choice to make a different decision, it just means that the environment impacted your decision. But it still feels like a choice, so what's the difference? I think I'm just gonna turn around, go back to my farty old car and just get in it and drive away and say, you know what, I'm no one's pawn. Right. And nobody would win at that point. I've lost, they've lost business. They shouldn't have whispered it in my ear. That was their pro- That was their mistake. If you know what someone's going to do, you don't whisper it in their ear. That but the I, thing I know is, what you're going to do is that an omniscient computer who analyzed your environment and your your genetic makeup put put you into that situation. They could determine ahead of time if they had perfect ability to interpret all the events. They would be able to interpret. They would be able to perfectly predict that in the end you would say, "Screw it, I'm going back home. Nobody's my boss." That doesn't mean that you didn't have agency. It just means that it was it was it, you didn't really have. It I don't means know. that agency is not exactly. What I don't even feel like to like talk is. about this because all it does is make people mad. People get so upset when you start telling them that you're actually not making any free decisions. You're you're just interacting with your environment. I feel it actually makes me feel better 
D- that's uh, one of the good things about it. Uh, ironically, it's like, you know, it's like once it's done, it's like I did it. And I, I couldn't have done anything else. Once it's done, it's like I did it. Okay, well, let me, uh, let me airport my phone here. It's buzzing. Who, well, who is that? Is that business or pleasure? Nah, it was both. You know, one of those deals. <laughs> no. Business and pleasure? <laughs> no, Explain it, yourself. It was just the Slack conversation, the office Slack conversation, which can get a little overwhelming, the general Slack especially. You know, when it's just- General every- Slack comes in here with his tanks. Before we get into the question though, I do want to, I was talking to you a little bit about this. Um, I, uh, I had an interesting uh, experience last night. I was in the uh, father-son three-point contest Is that in my son's basketball league. And, and so this is like, why, why does this exist? Fun, man, fun times. Oh, it's just for fun? Well, it's, it's a not fu- a f- it's a fund fund raiser. raiser. Okay, that's what, um, that's what I thought to raise to raise money for the team. And, so, who uh, was? Did you give money or did you just show up and grace them with your three point presence? Both. How much money did you donate? Uh, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> Six million dollars. <laughs> I've, I've floated. <laughs> I'm floating the team for the next seven generations. <laughs> Six million dollars. <laughs> um. So anyway, um, Locke tells me on Monday, well first of all, on Monday we're going to this thing and he's like, Dad, there's a, there's a fundraiser and um, well that was Saturday night. I'm going to uh, shoot free throws, I'm gonna shoot 100 free throws and you have to like give a certain amount of money for every one I make or whatever. Uh, he was like, oh, the, also there's a dad three point contest. He tells me this as I'm driving in there. I'm like, Locke, I don't, what? Oh, as you're driving to the thing? Yeah, he told me this on Saturday, but when we got there, but first of all, listening. I was upset with him because he thought that it was Saturday night, and I was like, you gotta tell me, you know I care about these things, you know I'm competitive, you know if this is a dad versus dad situation that I wanna be, you know, I want my game to be in tune. Oh, you gotta you gotta prime, prime the pump on your But it turns out it, shot. it wasn't Saturday, it was uh, last night, So he acci- several nights later. He accidentally gave you a heads up. Right. Uh, so, but you still got angry with him, and that's all that yeah, really right. matters. That's that's a good part. Uh, but I still didn't practice. What I did, you, you were going to practice, but then I, you never I kept got around to it. Intending to practice, right? Because and of then, television. And then the situation roll, rolls around last night, and I'm sitting up there, and I'm like looking at the other dads, and I'm and I'm like, first of all, Locke's got to shoot. There's not a you know, there's not a lot of room for error here because he shoots five free, uh, three pointers, and then I shoot five. We go around the horn, all you know, around the world, from one elbow to the other elbow. And so you get ten, and uh, it's 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 hard to just and that's it. Get out of the stands and not get into a groove and just start hitting three pointers. There had he shot a hundred free throws already on Saturday night. Yeah. Okay, he, at he a different that. night. Yeah. So I see a guy. There's no warm up, huh? For the three point thing. Uh, all it was is once it got to be that set that part of the night because there was like a kids three point contest and then there was like a mom and son uh, free throw contest. Now I'm I'm there for that. Yep. And uh, a kid three point contest that also sounds amazing. Oh, it, it was absolutely riveting the whole night. And uh, <laughs> then it gets down to the moment we've all been waiting for the dad three point contest. And I can look around and I see that there's other dads who are pretty serious, including one guy who was in a head to toe North Carolina Tar Heels basketball uniform. What? Yes. And as you know, even though people assume that we are fans of 
North Carolina because we're from North Carolina. We quite the opposite. hate them. We hate them with a fiery passion. Um, if the school could completely just be obliterated without any of the actual individuals being harmed, and I could press a button, I would do it. You press the button. I'd press the button if it meant that all of the people could be safe, but all the buildings and the institutions <laughs> and the in the Dean Smith Center could just completely blow up. <laughs> I would do it. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, can That's... I hold your hand while you did it? <laughs> and uh, can I make it push harder? I mean, and it... no, I don't hate Duke. That's the thing. I don't also hate Duke. I don't like Duke because it's still a rival. But I, with a fiery passion, hate UNC. And I would just like to back away slowly from your fervor because. You know, in college, it and was- And my wife went there, by the way. It was really fun to have an arch rival, especially when they refused to, to acknowledge that we even existed. <laughs> right, because- It made it even worse. They don't consider us a rival because we suck so bad at sports, historically. And they consider Duke, but uh, they're a rival. You passed 30 years or so. And it, so in college, I cared about it, but now, I mean, the Wolfpack have burnt me so much that I'm, st I, I'm still- you know, I still claim my alma mater. Don't get me wrong, but like, I don't watch the games like you do. I don't no, follow it, and I, I don't. I don't get upset anymore. I still embrace the. My life has extended. Well, being an NC State fan has given me a, a, a level of character that other people, people who are UNC fans, don't have. You know, when your team actually wins national championships and they, hold on, they, cheating included. By the way, I will throw that out there. Do, do, do the Tar Heels not have character? To clarify your statement. Because they don't lose, or because they're horrible people. Once you submit yourself to that school for four years or so, you lose character. I right. Mean, I, I saw Just it happen to, to my wife. I saw it happen to my brother. You know, they they went in certain people and they came out people without character. Right. And it's slowly throughout the years, I've slowly built her character back. Oh, you have. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I went to NC State. To, to your credit, I'm sure. <laughs> I, she thanks you all the time for building her character back. So anyway, I see this guy in the head to toe, and he had on freaking UNC socks. I do hate him, you know. And I was like, "What the crap? What is wrong with you, man?" Of course, I went and talked to him, uh, and I had to talk to him. I was like, "Oh, UNC, huh? Did you go to school there?" I always doubt that they go to school there because it's kind of like the Lakers, you know? Yeah. Like you wear, it doesn't mean you're a fan. It just, I hope he went there. If he's got a full outfit, he did. He, he, I, he better have in been on the team. In his, he was not on the team. In his defense, he did graduate from UNC. And then he, I was like, well, I went to NC State. He was like, oh, ACC battle. Um, now, what are you wearing? Uh, I'm actually wearing exactly what I have on right now. This shirt, these jeans, different underwear. And uh, what kind of? I, I was not shoes. I, I wore like my high top uh, gray. Cray high tops. Okay. So I'm your Air Force I'm, ones. I'm, I'm ready, but no, the 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 other ones that zip up now. You, you know, did, I got the other oh, ones. Oh, those. But you, you, so you just you you just walked in off the street. Every other dad is also not in a full basketball uniform. Well, you, you one should, one guy was in a gi. <laughs> one dad was in a gi. Hold on. Yes. I don't know if he's excited about the new Cobra Kai on YouTube Red <laughs> <laughs> or what, but you, uh, <laughs> you didn't talk. You didn't talk to him, did you? No, I refuse to speak well, you, to a man in a gi you unless should, he's actively fighting. Me. Unless he geen. <laughs> You also shouldn't have talked to the Chapel Hill guy no, in full regalia. I had to. I had to. So, what, what do you mean? You didn't have to. I wanted to intimidate him. Oh. Yeah. So, <laughs> I talked to him and uh, did he apologize for? Was he self conscious about his uniform? Yeah, yeah. He said, "I, I, I, I've only, I only worn this. I've only worn this one time, and that was when we won the championship two years ago." I was like, "Yeah, thanks for rubbing it in, jerk." Um, 
but she said, I don't get a chance to wear this. And I almost thought, well, this is, this not, is not the chance. chance. I mean, you know, but good, you know, he, he, he is playing basketball. Anyway, by, by the way, super nice guy. He seems to have gotten back he's most not, of his character. He's not playing he, basketball, by the way. He's shooting five three-pointers. <laughs> he's actually shooting 10 because he's got two sons, so he gets to do it twice. Oh, good for him. A so, guy of that level of character had, anyway, had two children. I'm gonna have to throw Locke under the bus here. Sorry, Locke, but uh, Locke missed all five of his three-pointers. And he's a great three-point shooter. I was, it was just a little bit of an off night for him. Did you yell at him? Uh, no, but I gave him a very piercing look of disappointment, which I've gotten very good at. Right. And uh, <laughs> so then I'm like, okay, this is all on me. And of course, I'm not actually thinking, I, you know, I'm a little bit of a narcissist and very selfish, so um, I'm not thinking about the McLaughlin you wanna, team You wanna score. plug anything right now after you've made the narcissist uh, comment? No, I didn't talk about this on Twitter or or Instagram, which would be Rhett MC, both places, shout out. But uh, no, I didn't do that. Anyway, so once Locke has missed all five, I'm just like, this is about me. Oh, You know what I'm saying? This is about me saving face. It, this is but about- it, But before then, it wasn't all about you. Right, but when, when McLaughlin, t Team McLaughlin had a chance, it was about Team McLaughlin, but now it's just about Team Rhett. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, first of all, a lot of these kids know who I am, and so there's that pressure. It's like, okay, here's the internet comedian getting up there, and, uh, and he's tall. He, 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 we know he likes to win things. So at this point, I'm, I'm like, well, I can't look like a jerk. You I know? wish I was there so I could have kept score, like in the old days. It's pretty easy to keep score when somebody's shooting five three-pointers. <laughs> so I get so? up there a little disappointed in Locke having missed all of them, and I line up the first one, air ball. <laughs> Short, they missed everything. Oh, wow. And, and, and again, I, I, historically, I'm a good shooter, so, Immediately, there's a there's a wave of embarrassment that begins to oh, come over me. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, this is these are the kind of moments I live for. Starting off a five a five string three point series with an air ball. Step up to the next one. What did anyone chant? Air ball. Well, lots of dads had air balled. One guy threw it over the entire goal one time. I mean, dads aren't made for shooting. The backboard. Yeah, that dads most dads. In the, <laughs> They're not yeah. ready for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have, I would have not been not embarrassing. Second three pointer, swish. I'm back on track. Third three pointer from the top of the key, another air ball. <laughs> oh, now that that's the place where you could easily bank it in, which again, it's not, not cool, but it would have counted. Yeah, one dad did that, uh, and several moms did that on free throws. Uh, so now I'm one for three, thirty-three percent, not. Real bad when it comes to three pointers, uh, but two of them are air balls, which is real bad. Mm. And then the fourth one, swish, swish. I only swish. I, I never. I don't hit the rim. I either either goes in or air balls. You're not gonna hit that rim. And then what fifth, about the last one? Fifth one, swish, swish. So I made three out of five. Sixty percent, pretty good. I wish I hadn't air balled, but at that point I was just like, the guy in the full Carolina outfit cannot make more than three out of five, or else I will feel defeated. That was your game. At that point, that was all I cared about. Just tying him, because I knew he was gonna have two chances Him tying it. you, yeah. all right. Uh, and long story short, the first time around, he hit three, and he missed the fifth one. Uh, he had made three out of four, and Jesse's recording this. And on he, her phone? On her phone. and To rub it in your face? On the fifth one, well, to post to her Instagram story. I'm not gonna shout her out. I don't want you guys to flutter. Um, the, fi the fifth one, he would have been four out of five. He missed it, and I th every I, there was an audible yes on her Instagram story. And it was me. <laughs>
it just what it, involuntarily just screaming yes when he you missed the fifth yes one. Yes, when he missed it. it. It wasn't like super loud. I yes! was I was right next to her phone. I couldn't help it, man. He's freaking <laughs> wearing the enemy's uniform. <laughs> and then he gets up there for his second son, and he makes Dude, three. I'm surprised again. he didn't start heckling him. He makes three again. So, uh, and no dad made more than three. There were there was like four of us that made three. Uh, so I left with a little bit of my pride intact. Two air balls though. Gotta work on that, Rhett. A little bit of disappointment in my son, a little bit of disappointment in myself. You know, just an average Wednesday. We're gonna go down a rabbit hole after we crack open an envelope here in a second, but first. Ear Biscuits is supported by Oatly, the original oat milk from Sweden that is now available in the United States for the first time. And I highly recommend that you try this stuff because, oh, I love it so much. It was over a year ago. Oh, I love it so much. Is that your slogan for it? Oh, Oatly. I, it's just, I thought you were going with something like that, but then you backed off. I'm just riffing, man, because I'm feeling good about this Oatly taste. About a year ago, we were in Amsterdam, went into a coffee shop, and I want a latte, and they said, well, do you want that with oat milk? And I was like, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And I'd never tried that, and then ever since, I've been craving it, and now, with the Oatly in my home, I have my lattes exactly how I want them. And it, it just tastes so good. I tasted almond milk, and then I tasted the Oatly, and it's just so much better, so much tastier to me. I love it. It is really, really good. As a man who has uh, forsaken dairy milk and is a, is a man of nut milk affinity, mm -hmm. uh, I have made the transition as well to oat milk. I am working my way through the, the supply that Oatly provided for us. Now, this stuff is super sustainable, it's vegan, it's plant-based, it is a milk alternative made completely from oats, non-GMO, gluten-free, no added sugar, gums, or fillers, uh, and you can get Oatly oat milk at your local supermarket or your favorite coffee shop. Oatly, O-A-T-L-Y, oat milk. Do it, you'll love it. Ear Biscuits is also supported by Hanes. They've created a pair of boxer briefs that are so comfortable, you will forget that they're even there. And isn't that the goal? To feel like you're not wearing underwear or pants or clothes? Yeah, I feel like a, clothes? Cave, a caveman. Just, or just like someone in a nudist colony. No, I don't, I'm not saying that's the goal. Without, I'm saying really comfortable underwear. Without the self-consciousness. Is definitely the goal. Comfort flex fit is Hanes' latest innovation in comfort. They got a breathable pouch for support and roomy fit, and you know what? You're gonna replace all of your existing underwear after you try these. Hanes really knows how to make underwear, and it will not break the bank. You can get a pack of three of these for 15 bucks. That is less than half of what you pay for a single pair of crazy expensive designer underwear. Hanes is America's number one brand of underwear and they just made it more comfortable. Comfort Flex Fit is cool, comfortable, and supportive. Like Link said, it's so comfortable, you're gonna forget you're wearing it at all. Yeah, give Comfort Flex Fit boxer briefs a try by going to Hanes.com or getting them wherever you buy Hanes. Now on with the biscuit. All right, let's, uh, let's take the top envelope here. I'm opening it up, having never seen it. You said that as if you're lying. You know what I'm saying? Having never seen it, <laughs> yeah, like a magician. <laughs> I've never met this man before. <laughs> I just trained him earlier tonight. We haven't actually seen it. Morgan posted, <coughs> why do people procrastinate? Why is putting something off only to have to deal with it all in one go and in such a short amount of time 
much more tempting. Okay, Morgan, you want us to get into the the art or the vice of procrastination. He wants to know why people do it. He can't understand it. So we should we should each probably say you know where where we fall on the spectrum because it's it's not it's not a I do or I don't. I imagine it's it's more of just a general trajectory of procrastination or not. Would you consider yourself a procrastinator? Hmm. This is a tough question for you. It's easy well, for me, so I'll answer. I, I would not consider you a procrastinator by any means. No, I mean, I, I, I when, when I think simple. about procrastination, I always think of it in terms of like test, high high school and college, or haiku. Haiku school. Which I almost said. Yeah, you almost got a scholarship to haiku school. Whenever I get a haiku assignment or I'm being tested on my haikus, I'm I'm like immediately studying. How would you test haikus? I think it's, is it the right number of syllables or not? You count the syllables. If it isn't. You blew it. It's an F. You blew it. Mm-hmm. Um, How many syllables is it? Could you tell me that? Uh, I should because I just watched that movie, because we talked about it, uh, Taika Watiti movie, what's it called? Searching for. Search for the Wilder People. Search for the, Hunt for the Wilder Hunt People. Hunt for the Wilder People is how, how I would say. Wilder People, sure. Um, Excellent movie. By watched the way. it. Watched it with the kids. They did. I was like, "All right." The kids are like, "It's it's it's Friday night. Let's have a family movie night." And I'm like, "Yes, I have the perfect movie. I'm actually keeping a list of movies, so we no longer have to argue for thirty or forty five minutes yeah. on what movies everybody wants." Worst. So basically, I've started keeping a list of movies that I want to see that they can tolerate, and then I'm just making an executive decision. Oh, that's good. Be a, be a dad. But yeah, because otherwise we never get anywhere. And and I know how to make everybody happy with this movie. Wow. And so I said, we're gonna watch it and everybody's groaning. And I'm like, no, groaning. You don't know anything about the movie. Oh, hey, yeah. They I, think they know everything. They, you, you tell them something that's just, and then they, gro- they groan as it, like like they had decided, like it was predetermined that they were gonna groan. It didn't matter what I was gonna say. They do the same thing with food. Yeah, it's like um, even if it's something they love, like uh, we're gonna get some Mexican food takeout. No, uh, it's it's like they, it has to be their idea. <laughs> I don't get it. Teens, man. Well, well not, I got some that aren't teens. Yeah, me They're too. They're still doing it. Me too. It's just progeny. Yeah, yeah. Children. It's our fault. Um, in the movie, which I highly recommend for family viewing, it's, it's I for just, all viewing. Um. The kid says haikus. You remember that? Yes. And it's been a while since you've watched it. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's it it's five syllables. Is it five seven five? Verify that. Anyway, really great movie. I I just freaking love the first thirty minutes. It's so funny. It's funny throughout, but like really funny. I'll call it an indie ish movie. Five seven five. Five, five seven, seven five. five is a haiku. What was I saying? Oh, the, sometimes even the funniest movies by the second half they're not funny anymore. But this one's even better. And this I wouldn't say it got better, but it didn't get unfunny. And that's a hard thing to do with a with a movie. And this the type that, cry a little that bit New too. Zealand sense of humor is just so delectable. It's my fa- it's I think it's my favorite. So dry. It's so it's it's my favorite. Yeah. And um. That's why I like Thor Ragnarok because 
Taika also directed that. Yeah, I love that guy. And uh, and what we do in the shadows. And he's the rock guy. What he's we, the rock what guy. What we do in the shadows. What we do in the shadows. Hunt for the Wilder People. If you have not done yourself the favor of watching both of those movies, what are you doing? I, I think you what can't are you doing with your life. I would say you can't be sleepy because you have to be in tune to it. Like uh, what we do in the shadows. I actually saw it twice, I think, and I was very sleepy both times. It's like you, you have to have a level of concentration in order to really appreciate it because well, it's not it, action. That it's was dry. It's that was dry, one of those dry movies. That was one of those movies that experimented with the sleep, the sleep induction. <laughs> you didn't know that? I didn't know. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, you should have known that. You would have been calfed up it, for it. It didn't make me sleepy. I was just already sleepy. So, for me, I hate procrastination because. I just hate having an assignment looming and then not, not making progress on it. Like I don't have to complete something but I have to know that, I, I have to do enough to know that I can complete it easily. Like cause something about, about the way my brain works, I think with everything that becomes a, a to-do item, especially with tests back in the day on my haikus, I think the way I interacted with those psychologically was I always started from a place, even though I was a very diligent student, that I was going to fail. I, I, I just wish that I would have gone to therapy much earlier in life, honestly, to start to unpack these type of things. Like, I never stopped and thought to myself, okay, the moment you get an assignment for a test, you have this sinking feeling that is a dread that like, like oh yeah, this means automatic failure for me. Or on the opposite side of it, I, and sometimes I think I would think, I think I would think that my standard was perfection and then it was a sinking feeling unless I knew I could achieve perfection. I think that rings true for me. Both of those factors together, A, would be great to have talked through with a, with a qualified therapist. I think that's, a, that's something I, I wish I would have done in college. So that being said, the way that I would cope is I would start to study immediately or I think actually a long time ago in a near biscuits, I talked about another example which was in just engineering school as an example and my heart was never in it yet my time and my energy, my blood, sweat and tears was all invested in it just because I was doing it and I had to do it as perfectly as possible. So to me that's very tied to procrastination because yeah. th then it's like I have no defense. It's my fault if I wait too late and it's like okay well I'll, I I didn't know how much time it was gonna take for me to know that I could ace this test. And I will never have more time than I have right now to know how much time I need. Well I think it's. So I, I mean so just because you're not a procrastinator doesn't mean that you're healthy. I think I've just proven that. I mean. In college, I was definitely a procrastinator. Uh, if procrastination is waiting, like postponing getting into something, I don't do that as much anymore. Mm -hmm. But the same factors that that contributed to procrastination, which I think this gets a little bit at Morgan's question, like why do people pr procrastinate, uh, is how easily distracted I am, right? The main factor is how easily distracted I am. So I get that. Whereas you have like a laser focus uh, on things, it's kind of like a 
and it's like it's kind of like a laser focus, like a tube, like the way that I right. pic- picture your your attention. See this is like a. Um, I don't see that at all. You see what I'm doing? No, because I have such a left. There's a tube that's going right to your your face. I'm making under, a flying butterfly with my hands underneath the butterfly. But like for instance, I, I you know that's good. It didn't distract you. I noticed this uh, when we ride together. We haven't been carpooling together that much because we're going to two, two different we, gyms and stuff. Because our relationships on the rocks. Um, but or even the other day when we were getting ready in the uh, in the in the. Um, in the ready in, room. In the ready room, the wardrobe room. My mom has a ready room. It's an entire room dedicated to her getting ready in the morning. So what we, what we do typically with, when we're getting ready to shoot some uh, some good mythical morning is uh, the, the writer and producer of that particular episode kind of come in and begin talking through what we're about to shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, just e- even though we, we have familiarized ourselves with what we're gonna do, it's just like we're getting, everybody's getting all their ducks in a row, especially for the more complex episodes. And, um, the, there was music playing in the room. Now the music playing in the room was so quiet that I had forgotten that music was playing in the room. By, uh, Bobby Gentry. But I, I play. I started playing that music before he got there. But so the, they come in the room and they start talking to us and uh, I noticed like 15 seconds into them talking, you get up, you go over there and you turn the music all the way off. And I'm like, oh, music was playing. And that music <laughs> playing, which I didn't hear, was distracting Link so he couldn't listen to the, or when we ride together, which is what I was getting to. Well, first, first, okay, go ahead. I'll come back to the music, but go ahead. This is also a music example. I've noticed that when we are riding in a car, if we're talking, you don't want music to be playing at all. It's not like, I remember Ben Greenwood's mom used to play music almost where you were like, is there music on? Is the radio on now? Uh-huh. I was like, what is the point of it right now? Right. Um. Whereas in, in my family is more like, we play music where most people would be like, why are you playing it that loud and trying to have a conversation at the same time? But that's, in my house all the time, like Saturday morning, that music starts playing. Like, yeah. Also most weekday mornings, like music starts playing and we're having conversations. We play music while we eat dinner at night. And like sometimes it's like loud. But it we but everybody's on the same page as how we interact with each other. So there's music that you're enjoying, but you're also in the midst of a conversation. But like if we and me and you are driving down the road, and the music is Ben Greenwood's mom level, you have to turn it off before we begin a conversation. Now I'm not good, bad, or indifferent. But what that does is it highlights the amount of tolerance that you have for anything that might be distracting. Now my tolerance is so high for things that might be distracting that I get drawn into them. So when I sit down. That doesn't make sense. No, but no, what I'm saying is, is that. I, I thought you were gonna, if you're gonna say that you never get distracted by things, then you would never be drawn off of your task no, into them. No, my propensity to incorporate those things into my life in, in a way that is like, I, it doesn't compromise my conversation with my wife or with my kids, or even a conversation that I would be having with you, especially music because it's the kind of thing that you can easily categorize and be like, oh, there's music playing, but now I'm having this conversation with Link about this serious thing and, I, and I don't, I'm not hearing the music anymore. But what I'm saying is my tendency to leave things on and kind of leave, like, leave a lot of tabs on my computer open, leave a lot of apps open, what that ends up doing is I've just set the table against myself with a high number of things that could at any point draw me in. So, and, it, and it's actually gotten worse as I've gotten older. Uh, 
Back in the day in college, it would be like I'd put things off. I do the classic procrastination. Well, just let things. me jump in on the, about the music and say that a lot of these things. You know, I'm not going to take it as a criticism. I'm not going to take it as you think that I'm lesser because I'm distracted by things. I'm, I'm going to leave that. I'm not going to take it personal. It sounds like that's how you're taking it. Yeah, well, it's hard not to take it that way, but I'm not. Okay. But I just want to go ahead and say that the reason why I turn off the music is for you, because. You're the one who might get pulled into that. And I would hate to do that to you. I appreciate that. That's not true, by the way. Um, I turn the music off because yeah, it's distracting. It's distracting to me because I know what, I know, I'm into, I, I started playing the music. I know what it is. So I have a connection to it. It's not background music that like, oh, I walked in the room and it was just there. No, it's something I was listening to intently. And then I'm like, yeah, I don't want to pull myself away from it. But that, it, that's but my point. My point is is that the question was why do people procrastinate? And I think that it is a direct correlation between um the your tolerance to So in other words, if you have a laser focus on things, then you're much less likely to get pulled into other things that would distract you and keep you from getting into the thing that you want. And it may be your anxiety that drew you in in the first place to doing it, but mm -hmm. I'm saying that once you get into something, what I'm gonna do is I, like, I, I do, like, the, the most work that I do at this point that's anything related to like a test is like sitting down and writing something. Mm -hmm. And I'll sit down and write something, but if you were to look at a, like a graph of my time, when I say I'm gonna set aside this day to write something, mm -hmm. it'll be like, write for 20 minutes, read an article. Write for 35 minutes, go check my email. And I'm not saying this is healthy, I'm just saying that that's how I approach it now, so now it's just a bunch of distractions that get thrown into what I'm doing, which prolongs the time that it takes. But, but that's not procrastination but in, though. Yeah, but in some weird way, my tendency to interact with those things ends up impacting, especially creative work kind of coming back in. Cause once I, if I just go nose down into something and it's like four, like three hours in, I'll be like, I can't do this anymore. I need a distraction to like almost fill the tank up again. But procrastination is different. So let's talk about, I think in this instance, it would be that you're intentionally doing something that is not pressing instead of doing the, doing the task that is more pressing. The, say the thing that you set out to write. So. Uh, and in that moment I am procrastinating. If I'm not, even if I've started well, it. Well taking a, taking a brain break or like stepping away so you can step back in is probably an efficiency to a certain point but it's all about motives. Like are you not doing it because you don't think you've got anything? Are you, are you looking elsewhere for, um, inspiration that you need or are you avoiding a task? It's much more carnal than that. It's more, there's something else. What is that? It's not like, man, I'm getting tired of this. I need to actively make a decision to open a tab. Again, that's not how my brain works. My brain is like, oh, I've now been reading this article for seven minutes. I don't remember making a decision to do that. You know what I'm saying? It's like. So do you think subconsciously that is procrastination? Yeah, because it's put in, in, in that moment it is, because it's putting, it's putting uh, a task off. But, but I, and I think, 
to read between the lines and to know you, I think it, it would you say it's because the other thing is is more exciting? It's it's more in that intriguing. moment, yes. intriguing. Yeah, and I've thought about like doing the thing where you get the you put the app on your phone or your computer where you can't get on the internet for a certain amount of time. But then I'm like, well, what if I? Need, but a lot of times I'm in the middle of writing something. I'm like, got to Google I, something. I need the internet, and then I'll remember something that I want to buy. <laughs> like, I mean, it really is kind of sad. I'm I, again, <laughs> I don't know why you took what I said personally because it wasn't personal. It, it's ultimately a compliment in the in the context of procrastination. Because if you looked at what I did in a day that I was trying to be productive, I would have like bought three or four things that I don't need. I would have read articles. I would have clicked on a, a an article that was like, "What do these celebrities look like now?" Like I like th that stuff is designed for people with my personality. Yeah, and. After I've clicked on an article and then clicked on an article and then clicked on an article, it isn't like I'm sitting around thinking, I'm awesome because I click on all these articles. I'm thinking, why can't I just do the thing that I was trying, what I was trying to do? So I think it's a little bit, and I've never been diagnosed with ADHD, but um, I think that people who, again, we're not doctors or scientists, so we don't really know what we're talking about, but I have to assume that people who have an attention deficit disorder are much more likely to to procrastinate because even if it's not just something that's keeping you from uh, even beginning a task, which used to be my problem, but now I, my life is a lot more scheduled and so I'll be like, I need to do this. I'm going to start doing it now, but then my road to getting it finished will have all kinds of potholes in it. Some productive, most of it not productive. So for me, why I procrastinate is because of my attention deficit issues. And Morgan, you're gonna shame him for that? Did we answer the complete question? Why is putting something off only to, I mean, cause I think, you know, when he says, why is putting something off only to have to deal with it all in one go and in such a short amount of time, much more tempting? It's, 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 uh, it's the it's other a, things that are tempting. He's, a, he's applying a, like a purely logical analysis of procrastination, it's like, and that's just not how it works either way. I mean, plenty of people procrastinate from fear of, of of not being able to get it done, so you'd rather do something else to make yourself feel better than something that's gonna make you feel worse, like like failing in the process of doing it. I'm just guessing. Do you wanna open another question? I think we settled that one. I think I, I don't think I've ever clicked. I think I may be clickbait proof. I'm not bragging, I'm just saying, I don't think I've ever clicked on, I'm, I'll be more specific, an article related to something I'm reading online. Now don't cheat. You're already looking at the next one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just easily distracted. I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever click on. I clicked I'm, on this next question like it was a click hole. Do you, you click on, you, you get to the bottom of an article and you click on another article. All the freaking time. Never, I've never Why do you think it. those exist? Do you, th do you think it wouldn't be an incredible business model if there weren't a lot of people who were susceptible to it? I'm, I mean, I am so susceptible to that. That's why I love reading Twitter moments because they're so quick and limited. Like, I just don't read articles. But here's the because thing. Because I get, again, uh, 
I, I, did, I don't like the feeling of getting sucked into things. But here's the thing. This is why it, we- It's a burden for This me. is why we work well together. Because if we both were like me, there would be a problem. And if we were both like you, there Absolutely. would be a problem. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like- um, But if we had to choose. No. No, it's, it, there's an, in, again, this is, we talked about this before when people ask us about the creative process, but like, um, and again, this is why I don't consider myself a procrastinator because I'm very much an initiator and a starter. It's like, well, I'm the one who wants us to start on something, but you're the one who wants us to finish something. And I think that, I, that our tendencies to get distracted to be like, all right, listen, we, we, like sometimes I'll be like, we have seven minutes before this thing starts and I wanna start a conversation about a project that you're not ready to talk about because you don't wanna talk about it unless we have two hours to talk about it. And I'm like, yeah, we got seven minutes. In seven minutes, we may solve the biggest problem. Seven minutes worth of it is how I feel. With this, with this or less. thing, you know? And I'm like, we may make the breakthrough that we've gotta make in this seven minutes. Mm -hmm. And so, and but then sometimes it's like, well, it's not worth it getting into the seven minutes because it may just be frustrating. So there's a little bit of, of a give and take that I think ends up working really well. Okay. Read, read this next one. The envelope is open. Jacob asks, I don't have a question so much. Okay, as a that's burning fine. desire to see the statistics of my life on a spreadsheet, which we just alluded to. The statistics of my life on a spreadsheet. Stupid stuff like words I said the most and least with an accurate word count as well as how many breaths I took, among other things. Was it on a podcast that we talked about this exact thing, or was it just, where did, where did we talk I think, about this? I think we did talk a little bit about records of everything, but the thing specifically I don't think we've discussed that um, he makes me think of here is stuff like words I've said. It's interesting that with all the, like the the lifestyle data that he would want tracked in statistical form on a spreadsheet, that his first examples are stupid stuff like what words I've said the most. And now I find myself interested in that too. We started to make an observation that we both said a, a couple of things a lot on, on this show. On GMM too. And it was right off the bat, and we say right off the bat a lot on, I noticed it, I noticed it on this show and I think somebody commented, right, we say right off the bat a lot. Right off the bat. I've been trying to be more conscious of it. And there was another phrase that. There's quite that a we, few. That, that we said, you say golly, I noticed that. Golly. It's that's like Gomer Pyle. <laughs> I think that's, that's one you might wanna, you might wanna watch yourself back saying that one a lot. On this show? No, on, on GMM, like when you're reacting to something. Like your go-to phrase for exasperation is golly. I bet you you say it a thousand times a week. I wanna see a golly supercut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've asked, I've asked the, the editors to cut all of them out. Oh, so they good. never see. Good. No, I, I think they make it through. I do think that this, uh, it's okay. So I, I've been reading, it's a long book and I kind of, I, I work it in, this is another thing I do that is indicative of my, you could call this procrastination. I read between seven to 10 books at a time. I cannot read one book at a time. Like at any given time, there are that many books that I am some of the way through. And the majority of them I probably don't finish. So I'm not saying this is a good thing, I'm just giving you the facts of the way my life works. Um, but I'm, 
I'm working in that Sapiens, the 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 the, the sequel to Sapiens, the Homo Deus. Okay. And, um, he talks about basically uh, dataists, dataism. Is, is sort of the age that we're in right now in terms of the ultimate thing that matters to people is the is the data. And that's how we make decisions. And so mm -hmm. the person who has the data has the power. So many things can be measured. I mean, for us as you know, content creators on YouTube, I mean, YouTube gives you so much data about everything, about how many people and what are, what types of people are they and how much of an individual video do they watch and when do they stop watching and at what rate do they drop off and yeah i mean you you've got your phone recording your number of steps and you don't even know it well and the thing is is that um you can get to a place or if you're driving if you get you get to a place where something isn't even worth doing if you're not gathering uh the data as it's happening you know like that the extreme dataist sort of position is that the any problem can be solved with it and i i mean i think i, I think i'm in this boat i think it's pr basically the best thing that we've got to go on right now like so if we're going to be arguing about something like um, controversial issues like if you get into something like climate change which is very dividing politically okay it's just like and so what people begin to do is they begin to go to the data, right? And what does the data suggest? And the person who has the most data and the most accurate data can win that argument. And so, and, and I think that that, I think it does apply to, and it does help us make a lot of decisions about things. But for me, like when I think about if I were to see a breakdown of the way that I spend my time when I'm trying to work on something, I would probably be like a little bit ashamed of it. And be like, mm, that article you read about uh, Danny Bonaducci <laughs> uh, that led to the article about Danny Bonaducci's son, that led to the article about Danny Bonaducci's Danny Bonaducci's son's prom date, who is a meth addict. I don't know. I made all that up. Um, all I, that was chosen Bonaducci because that's a hard word to say. That wasn't fruitful. That did not contribute positively to my life. Um, I also don't like feeding into that whole system that people are making money off people like me clicking on things. Mm -hmm. So I think that if I could see this, it's just like when I came to you and I said, uh, we have both been saying right off the bat a lot, especially me, but you've been saying it too. That was data that changed how often we say right off the bat, which ultimately makes a better podcast, right? Because it's just like when you're reading something and you notice that people say the same phrase or the same word, it feels like uh, this is not, this isn't great writing. This mm -hmm. isn't a great book. That guy just said coincidentally twice in that paragraph. Hack, you know what I mean? So uh, I would love to have this power. I remember the thing that we were talking about. We were talking about the number of, it was something related to our kids, like seeing which of our kids are we weren't talking about how many rolls of toilet paper you go through. I can't remember what it is, but it was something fr from this from this table that we were talking about, about tracking data. But uh, we interact with it so much, like the gym I go to, if you wear your heart rate monitor, they send you a graph 
of the whole workout, and like what you did and how many calories you burned, supposedly, and your heart rate and all that, you know, it's all of that, all of this data, then it's supposed to, I find myself looking at it and then it, it, it provides some motivation. And this is ultimately why, you know, people are really nervous about this, understandably so, um, about having some sort of microchip implanted inside your body. Um, and you know, there's already people doing it right now and there's people who have a lot of hangups about it, whether it's about, it's a particular way that they see uh, things religiously as if this has like the whole mark of the beast thing. Mm -hmm. And then there's other people who are just like um, very wary of the government and any time that you can be tracked or you can be controlled if you've got some sort of bionic nature to you. I get all those concerns, but the driving force that is eventually going to move us into transhumanism like we talked about with Zoltan Ish, we didn't talk about it with him, but Zoltan Ishtvan, is that his name? You know yeah. the guy that we endorse for president <laughs> who continues to be, uh, I follow him on Twitter and I, and I continue to, to, to see his, the stuff that he talks about. The thing that's gonna ultimately get us there isn't going to be the convenience of buying and selling. I think it's going to be the fact that the data gathering and processing that the people with, uh, transhumanist parts are gonna be able to have. So when you're, so you're gonna have an advantage over somebody else when you can do things like measure your heart rate constantly and the number of breaths that you took and what's happening with the food that you're eating. Uh, when you can begin measuring all that stuff and it begins listening to you and telling you what you're saying and what you're not saying and you're gonna be a little bit more powerful because you're gonna have access to that data. You're, and, and that's what's gonna ultimately, and people are gonna, the whole privacy thing is gonna, is gonna be this like huge battle over the privacy thing, and mm -hmm. people are gonna be super wary about having anything in them that can be tracked. Um, they're gonna get over it. That's what, it, eventually they're gonna get over it and, it's, and everybody's gonna be, everybody's gonna have it. People are gonna go, people are gonna fight about it though. Potential, potential bloodshed over it. It's gonna get serious. But on the other end of it, oh, over the, the the privacy debate, yeah. So, would you like to? I mean, you're being served up ads based on conversations you're having with people. I mean, the technology is already listening to everything we're saying. Wouldn't you just, you know, it's wouldn't you like to have access to the data just to know how 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 you talk? How many times you say certain phrases or? I would, yeah. It would be kind of cool, but I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's it's a very, it seems to me a very good thing for cops to wear body cameras because it, you know, it's it's a record that holds, exactly. that, that holds them accountable because we hold them to a standard of, of excellence in a job that is so important that we depend on so much and that has such such a sway over society. I'll just leave it at that. Well, especially when but we it, have but reason to believe that people are being taken advantage of in those situations. Absolutely. And so if, uh, if, if there's potential for people to be taken advantage of, and there is potential and there's plenty of evidence that that happens all the time, then clearly that's only gonna be better for society if we have access to that information and what those body cams are recording. Uh, I mean, I'd like to hear the argument on the other side as it relates to my personal privacy. But I, cause I, I tend to say, well, I'm not proud of everything I say and do by any means, but uh, I, 
you know, I aspire to be the type of person that like if anybody saw a transcript of what what I said and did that I would be I'd be okay with that because What about a transcript of what you thought? I guess so. I mean yeah, you can't control you can't you know you can't control your thoughts you can control what you do with them but oh man that it, that sounds really scary it does. Okay, but I I am fully aware of the fact that this whole transhumanism thing is quickly moves to a place where your thoughts are being openly shared, right? And now this is gets into some really interesting stuff. So I, I I don't know what book it is, what movie it is, but I'm sure it's been done, um, where they been they begin to police your thoughts. So basically, if you have the thought of committing murder, well, if the cops can know that that's what you're thinking about, shouldn't they take action on it? That's the kind of the argument, and you can see how easily this completely gets out of hand, right? Because mm-hmm. freedom of thought, freedom, of, it, it there's this. Even freedom of speech is an example. I should be able to say, uh, I should be able to wish death on whoever I want to, and as long as I actually don't do that physically, we've in 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 the United States of America, for the most part, we have decided that you have the freedom, unless you're talking about like the president, to basically say what you want to, <laughs> and uh, but but that is that is also be, that's kind of in, in question right now. People are beginning to, to question that, but. The idea that your thoughts are suddenly now transparent to anyone who wants to access them, which I think is ultimately where this is all going, is essentially changing the way we see humanity from the hyper-individualistic way that we see people now to more of uh, one organism. And there's there's a really interesting writing about this not that I can remember and point you to because I haven't read enough about it. But basically, and it's really scary for us to think about, very scary for us to think about, for all, for lots of good reasons. But basically, it's the way that, you know, like a colony of ants communicates with each other and basically, they have their thoughts are super, super simple and they don't have like, a uh, ants don't have a private life. They are part of this organism that is the colony of ants and mm-hmm. they're communicating and of course what they're trying to do is 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 not nearly as complex as what we're trying to do but them having access to each other's thoughts through what's happening with their pheromones and the way that all that works is of great benefit to them there's a lot of people who believe that we're moving quickly to a place where we're treating humanity as an organism and there's some really weird moral things that start coming up because then you start, people start justifying things like, well, if we're just an organism, well, these individual cell, like a bunch of cells that contribute to a body, well, if these cells are not contributing or if these cells are cancerous for whatever reason, let's just get rid of those cells and now you got individuals. Who, I'm not, so I'm not saying this is something I'm looking for, I, this is not gonna happen in our lifetime. It's not something I'm looking forward to being ushered in, but I think with technology the way that it's progressing, it's an inevitable destination for humanity. Well, you scared me to to definitely back off. I mean, even I think about like a, n- not my thoughts, which is very dis- disturbing. I've got disturbing thoughts, and they don't become speech for good reason. There are exceptions, and I try to learn my lesson, but. 
even stepping back from that and saying, well, d- d- like a transcript of what I've said, because you know, I don't have anything to hide. Even in the transcript form, it's like I, I've texted enough people to know you can get in trouble with misinterpretation of just raw words on a page. I mean, it just doesn't. So even that seems dangerous. Well, but what if, what if I could know? What if every person could know every single thing that every other person was thinking? Now, given if that was suddenly if we pressed a button and that happened, given the way that we built the society, there would be a lot of incre- an incredible initial shock, just like an amazing shock. Like if if you if all of a sudden your wife think could know st- everything that you think and vice versa, there would be this shock, right? But don't you think that after the initial explosion of realization that we could be in a healthier place as a society if everybody pie- knew what everybody was thinking? Piecing that back together would take decades. But uh, ultimately, I mean, it, what if it, it took culture, decades? Well, what if I, that was I, the new reality? I believe that there are people like on a spectrum of uh, I'll just call it purity. Like purity of mind, purity of motive. Like I I certainly bl- know that there are people who are motivated more by love or greed, just to take two examples, okay? Like, I really enjoy reading about Mr. Rogers. Can't wait for that movie to come out. It's so interesting to read about this guy who the way that he talked about him, him himself in interviews was this, a level of unself-aware pure motive of of love that i i wish i had that like i read articles about mr rogers in order to be inspired to be, to make decisions to become more like someone who he was naturally but what if you were able to tap into um, mr rogers's thoughts so he, and you found out that it was all an act. I'm not saying it I, was. I'm not trying to be cynical. That's what I'm saying. I'm convinced that it was not an act. But what if it was? And so no. And so what I, my point is because I'm convinced that it's not. Before I take your hypothetical, I'm saying that's what would. Th- that's the first thing that would come out was how many people were like there would be a ranking of purity of motives. I mean, across. Politics certainly. I mean, it would be something that like would be on the ballot. Be like, this is the the data suggests this this purity of of motive. Like how you know you'd be able to you'd have you'd have a another indicator of how owned a politician was that wasn't just like the pork barrels or whatever you call it. Yeah, well, it's true. Tr- but then it goes to everybody. I think there would be there would be a ranking. Of of where everybody was at on a character scale, but you could only get that if you had access to the thoughts. Is that what you're saying? I think so. Yes, because I I think what we what we ask for a lot of times, I think one of the reasons that the internet has become a genre of entertainment and vlogging has become a genre of entertainment that's not going away anytime soon is authenticity. Right? We want authenticity. We want transparency. And I realize that that there's this whole. I'm not saying that privacy is not important. All I'm saying is that 
There's so many times where you really just wish you knew what someone's actual motives were. And of course, in a society where we don't have any way to penetrate beyond just what people say, and maybe if we're really skilled, we can kind of interpret some of their body language or whatever. It's invasive if you're able, if you're able to actually get into somebody's thoughts against their will, obviously, it's super invasive. But if it was just a given that the way that the world worked is that you could you could know what everyone was thinking in the same way that you can know what everyone is doing. It's interesting to think just to think about what what existence would become. Because it, right it, now there's it, it feels like one out of every hundred people is a sociopath, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they only have the ability to to empathize with people and uh but they're really good at seeming normal. You don't know the people who are that way in your life. If you knew how everybody was thinking, you'd know. I guess the question is then what does that person do? What does the person who's got the thoughts that would cause them to be guilty in the eyes of other people do at that point? Sounds like they're a kind of trapped. Black Mirror episode, the, like the one I have not seen about like the human Yelp reviews, but it would be much more definitive. It wouldn't be people reviewing their interactions with you. And that's which again would be a big indicator of character, but again, I mean it's like people would have reason to lie. Well, there's a couple of Black Mirror episodes that explore this, right? There's one uh in one of the first couple of seasons that explores this um essentially a score that you have based on the way that you're ranked by other people. That's what the one I was talking about. Yeah, and so you but then there's there's a the other one which is about the compatibility, which is I think in this season, the most recent season, which is about compatibility with people, and it's like a simulation that's running, and it's well, pretty awesome. You just spoiled one because that's the one you and I watched together. Oh, so um, we can't say which one that is because that's a spoiler. Um, but yeah, I mean, there without a doubt, every single thing that we're talking about can be horrifically, nightmarishly abused, and probably will be. But, but I also but think, it seemed, but your point is on the other side. Like if you could fast forward through the pain of transition, wouldn't we all want to know? I I think only the people who have nothing to hide, which doesn't everybody have something to hide? Yeah, but, but if but we, you, but if it's in but if it's such a if it's a small enough percentage of who you are that you're no one has pure character, not even Mr. Rogers, but I don't know. I think he might be one of the you, you know, it's then on the other side it's like, okay, we're going to we're gonna elect this person because he, he, this is their character, this is what their character comprises of. Well, we know without a doubt that the way things are done right now is in terms of how we elect our leaders is not a good system. You know, we know right now that it's based on the amount of finances you have, it's based on how well you are at marketing yourself. Show, it, showmanship. It might be based on how much you can, how well you can lie. Like we have a lot of things in our system right now that reward a lot of things that we don't want in our leaders. So I'm just saying that as, as crazy as it would be to get to a place like that, if, if, I, if I were to tell you that, you know what, I've been to heaven and I know what heaven is like and heaven is a place where everyone is completely transparent and everyone communicates telepathically with one another and you are exactly who you are in all your raw glory and we all exist in peace and harmony with one another. You might be like, oh, I can see that as how heaven would be. And I'd be like, well, technology 
through a lot of ups and downs is eventually gonna get us to a place where we're communicating seamlessly with one another as a human organism. But but I think we, it would I think a, I think a perfect knowledge of everyone's character would would restratify society in such a way that because because just because but that's already hap- that already happens it would be a different it would be a reshuffle and I and I think that the people who aren't trustworthy or have ulterior motives or who act upon greed much more than love you start to have a st- strata that way. And then you've got you've you've got greedy people with less money. But you're and ass- what are they going to do? But you're assuming that they're going to become dangerous. You're assuming that transparency would lead to a place where we were uh, reordering our society, and the people at the top would be the ones with the best motivations. I don't necessarily think that transparency would lead to that. I think when somebody was screwing you over, you would know it. But that doesn't that necessarily that wouldn't necessarily keep somebody from screwing you over because I think the same things. Well, like, I think for politics, I mean, for elected officials, it would be, you know, it would dra- that would be the first thing that would change. I would hope. So then you'd have people with the more impure your character was, the the least likely that you would be elected to anything tr- trusted. I, you know and what? And then it would create this I want underground believe, of nasty. I want to believe that you're right, but we have more access to people's personal lives and their information and their background than we ever did. And we seem to, as opposed to holding people to a higher standard, we're holding our politicians to a lower standard than we ever did. You remember back in That's the day, true. back in the day being like 10 years ago, when if you found out that a person running for president had like, a maid working at their house who was an illegal alien, they were completely out of the race. Like that was it. He had an undocumented worker working at his house. And and that right there was it, you were out. You could not run for president. That was a scandal 10 years ago. Yeah. Think about the stuff that people are willing to tolerate now. It's crazy the way things have changed. We know so much more about what people have done and we just seem why, to not care. So then why do you wanna know even more? Because you're painting a different trajectory which is even worse. I'm not painting a trajectory in terms of what I think, I'm just saying that I think that whenever things start, there's an inevitable direction that technology moves us into and you just kinda have to know this is where we're going. There's so many Luddites who just wanna keep pushing back uh, technological advances it's eventually gonna get there. It's like pushing in, pushing back on an ocean that is slowly eroding a coastline. You can't change it. You can build a wall, you can build an eddy. You, I mean, you can build like a, you know, whatever they do, whatever those things are called. I should know I'm a civil engineer, but I can't think of it right now. But eventually, all that stuff is gonna get washed away. And so, I'm not saying you should just let it all happen. You should do it smartly, but you shouldn't deny that it's actually gonna happen. We're gonna be transhumanist, man. It's going to happen unless we destroy ourselves. Let's look at this not through the political lens, but through the lens of family for a second. The you lens know, of family. Well, we make fun, if you listen listen to the top of our conversation, uh, you know, our dad conversation, we find comedy in, you know, how, how selfish we are as dads. Um, and it's and it's cathartic to 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 joke about it because it's our way of of saying, you know what? I'm I'm we're far from perfect dads. You know, you make the whole freaking 
three-point competition about you at a certain point. That's right. You know, and it's it's funny because it's true, you know? Um, and I aspire to be someone like who, who is just so honest. Like, I, I, there's an appeal to podcasting because I, I think there's a lot of successful podcasters who just, they're they're not they don't seem like they're hiding anything. I'm sure they still are, but it's very it's very intoxicating and engrossing to listen in on a conversation with somebody who's not doesn't seem to be holding anything back. But if if my children knew exactly what I thought about them in a particular moment, like I mean, I they could listen to the podcast and know some of it because I joke about it, and I do joke with them about it. And they wouldn't. I don't think they would be crushed to know that there are plenty of times when I, I'm, I'm annoyed, to no end by them, and I don't want to be around them. Um. I don't think they would be surprised, but I think it would hurt really bad if they could experience those thoughts in the moment. You know, um, initially. Because by the way, they feel the same way about me with the eyes rolling, you know, and the the comments yeah, that are made. I mean, don't you wish? I mean, it goes both ways. You would, and it and so so let's explore that. Well, it's like I, the last thing I would want to do is crush the heart of my children. You would only I, crush, I love them. You would only crush their hearts because we have been we live in a society where we've never broken through that. Where it's right. it's crazy. Like our entire like uh, biology is based on the fact that we, the only thing that we kind of have to ourselves is our thoughts. You know, like we haven't evolved in a place where our thoughts, other than the way the ways that our thoughts are expressed through emotions or with facial expressions and those things that we've learned, but there's a very important core, which is, you know, it's in there and it's protected and it's our own and we value it probably more than anything. And that's why there's a lot of people who are listening right now who are just really uncomfortable with the whole conversation and are gonna comment, have already commented, I don't like when you guys talk about this kind of stuff. Talk about stuff that's lighter hearted, whatever. Um, and I completely understand that, and you're not wrong, because this is an uncomfortable thing to talk about. But and, and, and it would be really uncomfortable for you to suddenly know exactly what your kids think about you and to know that they also know what what you think about them. But what you feel about your kids and what your kids feel about you And is, the reason why is is what everybody feels about their family. And the reason it, why that's I, what, I bring it up is because my love for my kids and their love for me is not in question. So I'm bringing it up as um, a thought exercise because even when you love somebody with your whole heart, there's still there's still things that if they knew exactly what you were thinking, it would, it would hurt their feelings there in, would, in the again, moment. There would be this nuclear bomb that goes off in everyone's brain the moment that they had access to each other's thoughts. And we'd be like, I can't believe that that person thinks that. Oh my, I, you, that's the kind of thing that you think about? I can't, I can't even look at you the same anymore. But in that moment, you've also released your thoughts to someone else, and they're thinking the exact same thing about you. Everybody would kind of realize, ooh, we're all pretty nasty. We're all pretty good and pretty nasty. And there are some exceptionally good people, and there are some exceptionally bad people, and then they're kind of most of us. And I don't, I mean, I don't know what the outcome would be. 
it would probably probably be pretty bad for those exceptionally bad people. And then they'd all get together. That's what I was getting at in a new strata. And it would the bad people would revel. It's like, oh, we can now band together. Well, I know how bad you are. Like we're gonna do some bad, bad stuff. We'd send them all to Australia, like they did back in the day when they sent all the inmates to Australia. So we'll do that again. Yeah, let's run that by the Aussies <laughs> when we go down there <laughs> at the end of July. Um, wow. Okay. This is uh, this has been quite a conversation. Uh, thank you to Morgan and Jacob for asking these questions that led us down this rabbit hole, which got a little dark, made some of you very uncomfortable. I I do think that within the safety of loving relationships in an effort to bring some conclusion to at least part of this and conversation. And be a little positive, in on a positive note. I, th- I think so. Uh, well, aspirational at least. I aspire to be increasingly honest w- within those loving, trusting relationships because I believe that it that it it leads to growth and it leads to understanding it and knowing like truly loving somebody that you don't that you don't fully know is and what is full what is to fully know somebody but to get closer to fully knowing somebody is to is to more fully love them i think you have to you know when you love somebody you've got to love the you got to you got to love the the warts too and if you can get to a place where you have radical honesty, if we can get to a place as a society where we have radical honesty, then the inevitable transition into whatever the next version of humanity is, which will someday definitely include the ability to read each other's thoughts, it won't be that big of a leap. And the you more know, you, the, the, more, the, the more you have to hide, the more frightened you are of that moment. Mm-hmm. But that moment's gonna come. It's not gonna come in our lifetime. If you're listening to this in the year 2018, you don't have to worry about this. Well, it might come when you die. It might come for all uh, of us when we die. When you escape the simulation. Well, or, or I mean, depending on what you believe when you die. Yeah, right. I would like to commit to be more honest and I'll get to it eventually. Get it? I like that. Get it? I'm in agreement. Good luck with that, but not really. We'll talk at you next week. Thanks for listening and processing this with us using hashtag Ear Biscuits. Oh, and those of you who know the books that have been written about some of the stuff that we kinda touched on, I'm sure there's some really good science fiction about what we've touched on. Uh, recommend that to us with hashtag Ear Biscuits because I definitely want to read some of that stuff that better explains this. You know who you are. Thank mm-hmm. you.